Hi, my name is Nicole J. Georges. I'm a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist staying in Los Angeles, California with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> this is our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Today on Sagittarian Matters, we answer your questions about comics, backgrounds, characters, pacing, planning, conventions, and more with cartoonist Liz Prince. Stay tuned. Liz Prince is the artist behind the graphic memoir, Tomboy, and the comic, Will You Still Love Me If I Wet the Bed? She is also the author of the just-released comic, Cody and the Creepies, which you can get at any comic book shop. Liz joined me from her home in Portland, Maine, to answer some of your questions, and also to discuss how she's a never-nude. Enjoy. Liz Prince, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thanks for having me back. Esteemed Sagittarian, Liz Prince, you are coming to us live from your home in Maine. That's right. I live in Portland, Maine now. That's probably something that happened uh, since the last time I've been on your show. You have beautiful cat curtains behind you. Thank you, Ikea. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Liz, you are a never nude. I am a, um, I'm a recovering never nude. Tell me about your recovery process. I'm in recovery. Um, so my husband and I bought a house. Feels weird to say the word husband. Uh, the guy that I married so I could get health insurance Mm. easily. Your health insurance provider. Yes. Uh, (laughs) bought a house and our only bathroom is on the first floor. And our bedroom is on the second floor. And I just, I said, fuck it. I'm going to walk from the bathroom on the first floor to the bedroom on the second floor in a towel. And I do that regularly now. (laughs) Now, will you explain to listeners what the alternative was for you? Um, I used to bring my change of clothes into the bathroom and change into my clothes right after I got out of the shower. And this was Uh, even when you lived alone? This was, yeah, almost like especially when I lived alone for some reason. Um, And even hilariously enough, you were in my uh, most recent apartment in Somerville. So you can attest to how small that apartment is, but also to the fact that the bedroom door and the bathroom door are right next to each other. And and the bathroom was tiny, but even in there, I would bring my clothes in to that bathroom. Just so no one ever sees a speck of skin. That's right. But I think that there's something very liberating about owning your own house. It's like, hey, I own this house. There's no landlord that's going to, like, knock on the door and need to come in while I'm in the shower or, you know. So it's just a a more freeing kind of lifestyle I have now. Very free. That towel towel walk sounds very free. This is like... It's, It's not that short of a walk. So, you know, it's like a hike. You know, like large. Amber Rose has a slut walk. You could have a towel walk. <laughs> That's right. But it's just like 40 feet. Yeah. 
It's just up a staircase. Well, I think about you because I also identify partially as a never nude. Like, I know some people now who are nudes. Or nude, like people who just, you turn your head and then they're naked or their shirt's off. And you're like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> what... What, what and it's because they never feel comfortable wearing clothes, and I'm quite the opposite. Oh yeah, I love to wear clothes. <laughs> That's why winter is one of my favorite seasons. I think because it's when you can wear the most clothes. Oh yeah, I mean, I am I am discovering for some reason in Los Angeles, I'm getting more into a comfort zone where I am furious that I have to put on a bra every day, which is mm-hmm. new for me. Uh, but put on a bra, I do because you know. You can't go outside without a bra on or you have to carry a tennis racket to swat away weird men that are coming out from <laughs> under cars and stuff. Um, yeah, there's been a couple times that it's, you know, snowed overnight and then in the morning I'm like shoveling the driveway and I just like, you know, I just put on jeans but I'm still wearing the shirt that I slept in and like a hoodie and a jacket. But then over the course of shoveling, I'll get so hot that I'll start to like take off layers of clothes until I'm like down to a t-shirt and I realize that oh, I'm not wearing a bra and I'm doing this physical activity and I'm just kind of like hanging out here in the neighborhood. <laughs> it seems very 70s for some reason to have you doing a lot of work, like manual labor without a bra or even a sports bra. That's right. Like a real 70s woman, you're like, you know? Well, you know, it's been interesting because we moved into a neighborhood that's like, seems like it's got some very traditional gender roles on lockdown, like... I've never seen any of the other women who live on our street, like, take the trash out or do any shoveling or do any yard work. It's always, like, their husbands. Mm -hmm. And I'm not used to seeing because I've usually lived in cities where it's just like, oh, you know, I'll see the next door neighbor woman, like, shoveling the sidewalk. But here that doesn't seem to happen. It's kind of, like, got, like, a a Stepford Wives thing going on. And then you're the Tom man. I am the Tom man. And I was joking with Kyle that I'm sure that all the other, you know, like husbands in the neighborhood are like, how do I get me one of those? (laughs) He's like, well, learn to play softball and you might meet a few. (laughs) (laughs) Sign Uh, me up. Are you ready, Liz? I'm ready. A lot of questions about, this is like masterclass questions about comics. Okay. Crack your knuckles. Let's go. Any advice on creating background environments or characters? Thank you from Gary. Oh, my God. Backgrounds are the thing that I am working at getting better at. It's always been something that I've considered to be my own personal roadblock in creating comics. Um, I don't feel like I am good at creating a background that doesn't just get in the way of what's happening in the story itself. Um, And so I've been really kind of trying to force myself to figure that out. And uh, so my advice on it is um, for the, for the uh, places where you can skip it, maybe skip it. And for the places where it's necessary, uh, you know, really push yourself past that boundary um i don't know how in depth of a background character gary is referring to like just someone who's just standing like in a background or someone who is not a main character but has like a Uh, i don't know gary am i wait do you think that 
Gary meant like background as in like backstory? No. Okay. <laughs> I get it. But we got, I can't wait. But we have so many questions. I can't even, I can't even dwell too far into the depths of Gary, but I want to well, say. Well, you're someone who's amazing at creating backgrounds. So what's your advice? I hate backgrounds. I always Good. draw the principal <laughs> characters first because that's the fun part. I will look at photographs and thank God for Google. Yeah, that's actually something that's been really helpful for me is like, I don't have to make up what a room look like. I can be like, oh, what is a fast food restaurant? What's the inside of a McDonald's? Oh, okay. <laughs> it used to be that you would have to sit your ass down at McDonald's unless you had a Polaroid camera. You'd have to go sit yourself down at McDonald's and draw it. But now you can Google it. You can Google map your old street. And I will, I save, I have a lot of photographs, like photographs, physical photographs from the times of the early 2000s. So if I need a crowd scene or I need to see what someone looks like, I'll look at that. I also crowdsource on Facebook. Liz, you yourself have sent me a photo of you from behind. That's right. <laughs> um, so crowdsource, use the internet, look up background people. It's a pain in the ass. It feels like too much work, but it ends up being worth it. Listen to a podcast while you're doing it. That's right. And also I think this is next level, but I think line weight. So I think have the background be a lighter line weight or even covered in gray wash and have the people who you want to be popping at the front in a thicker line weight. So thicker lines or more black um, or not gray washed. So they're visually popping somehow. So they're not just part of the background. Solid, solid advice that I'm still trying to take into account for myself. It's we're hard. still learning. We're professionals, but we're still learning. I'm, can I tell you what I am? I'm a lifelong learner. Okay. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Liz. What's up? Uh, it's Ketner. Uh, so my question for you two hardworking cartoonists is how do you balance multiple projects? Because that's always been uh, a <laughs> – that's an issue I can't scratch. It's, it, it's all in one thing or nothing, and you guys are both really good at spitting plates. So I'd love to hear your tips on that. Thanks. It is like spinning plates. Um, I think that a lot of it for me comes down to actually just blocking out certain amounts of time to work on the freelance aspects, the like paying gigs, quote unquote, and then, uh, using the rest of my time to work on the thing that's my own project. I am not great at, I mean, I'll end up following the money. I mean, I'm not great at it either. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it would mean to be great at it, except for like basically with the spinning plates, whatever plate is going to pay me at that moment is the plate that I'm giving my energy to. So mm -hmm. that, if it's a graphic novel, it's mostly anxiety that keeps me in the chair because I will break down how much work I actually need to do every week to accomplish my deadline goal. And then the anxiety of not hitting that deadline goal keeps me going. I'm actually, that's a very Al, like Alec Longstreth-like way of visualizing a project and breaking down the workload. It's actually I'm literally actually, an Alec Longstreth joint. Right, I exactly. Um, I am uh, a master procrastinator, and a lot of times it just gets to the point where it like either just needs to happen or I fail, and then that's when I'm like, all right. And I, I tend to be someone who can like have those like aha moments in that kind of a stressful situation. Um, 
but I always am like more tempted to work on the thing that is exciting to me, even if it's not the thing that's going to pay me. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that I just have so many ideas and so many side projects that I could work on my own stuff that doesn't have a foreseeable end forever. So yeah, I don't know. I just pick up whatever, like my anonymous fuzzball series, my series, mm-hmm. I just, I go to those meetings every week probably and then I just sketch and doodle while I'm there and so I make sure to do that or I'll do some kind of drawing every time I sit down at the table as a as a warm-up exercise so if you just do one fun thing as a warm-up then eventually you'll have like and I'll do now I'll do like things for Instagram which is weird but it means that I have now a little bank of full color illustrations so I don't know. Can you make something work for you in two different ways? That helps me do extra things that are not the thing that's paying me. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. Oh, great. All right. This one's a little bit next level. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Oh, wait. Do we have any last things to say to Ketner about balancing projects? I think it becomes intuitive maybe the longer that you're doing it or you start to kind of get into a rhythm but uh, there's, I don't know if there ever stops being that like push and pull between the like, oh, this one thing kind of feels like my homework, you know, where I'm like, oh, I have to turn this in, but I don't want to do it. While the other thing is kind of like the fun playing video games that you'd rather be doing, if that's like an apt metaphor. <laughs> yeah. I, Yeah. I don't know. I do. I do challenge this listener to at some point, and this is my bad—not bad—but step back and look at his career as a whole, and see what's going to serve his mission statement or his purpose in his career, and what is just sticking around. Sincerely. Um, okay. I'm in a co- Colleen asks. I'm in a comics class now, and I'm having trouble with two things. One, pacing my story. How do I know what to leave in and out? I know you're supposed to be able to read the story without reading the text, but how important is that? What? I don't think you're supposed to be able to read the story without reading the text. No. I I, disagree. I also disagree with that. I think that your artwork should be adding something to the story that the text isn't necessarily always saying, but I don't think that you're supposed to be able to read it and understand it without the text. I mean, you could read the general tone. Yeah. I wonder if that's something that was, like, given as advice in this class. I don't know. Comics teaching is really a rogue art. um, Pacing, I, I mean, I think that what it comes down to is does what you're showing in a specific scene move your story forward or is it just minutiae that doesn't need to be there i think that it's really kind of a lot about just like quote unquote cutting the fat like get to the things that push your story forward and leave out the things that don't even if they're really fun things that you would love to include um i had a lot of 
little like anecdotes like that in Tomboy that it was like, wow, would it be really fun to draw about the time at Girl Scout camp that the weird girl found a dead horse and dragged the head to under her cabin, but that doesn't fit in my story in any way. So had to leave that one on the cutting room floor. Yeah, like sometimes sometimes you just feel like you have to draw that story. Like you have, like maybe some part of you has to draw the horse head thing, but it doesn't mean it has to go into this. If it doesn't right. serve the the purpose of the story, it doesn't. If the characters aren't changing or nothing's happening, if it doesn't serve one of the, like the bullet points you're trying to hit with this, then you gotta leave the horse on the cutting room floor. But maybe you sketched it out. Maybe you can use it for something else. The other thing about pacing is that uh, you really want to pay attention to what kind of emotional mood you're trying to set. Like, you don't want to just be rushing through this thing that is supposed to have greater emotional importance to your story. You want to give that time to breathe and the interactions that you've created with your characters time to play out in maybe a more, like, attention and focus way. Um, so it's also about paying attention to to what you're trying to convey and tonally how you're trying to do it. Some really grassroots, grassroots, some really fundamental tips are the more panels. So say you have like five tiny panels in a row. That means someone's going to read that moment faster. And then the ne- if the next panel is huge and spans an entire row or spans, you know, the half of the page, people are going to slow down and look at that. So, I mean, that's one way to think about pacing in a very literal way. It's like the more tiny panels you have, the faster the faster time is going by. Whereas if you just have like three pages, three full page illustrations, that's like pause, breathe, pause, breathe, pause, breathe. Um, and but the to bounce off the thing Liz was saying, for me, drawing comics is so fucking boring that I imagine readers are also bored. So I have had to fight against the idea that I'm giving things too much space when I'm actually not giving them that much space at all. I'm just giving them time as I'm drawing them. So like I would have a hard time giving my pages enough space to breathe. Like I would be like, no, I have to fit this all on this one page because readers are going to get bored. And and then I have to be like, no, it's going to take them 0.5 seconds to read this page. That just took me five hours to draw. So I could actually spread this out onto three pages and see how that feels. So I've actually been having the opposite experience lately. Because I'm writing this comic series called Cody and the Creepies that's like a monthly comic and each issue, it's all four issues that are one story, but each issue has to be like self-contained and have a beginning, middle, and an end in the larger arc. And I only have 22 pages to tell a story in. And so it's a whole different kind of challenge, like what gets that slower, more drawn out kind of attention and what has to be like snap, snap, snap onto the next thing. Um, And I'm definitely learning that I'm not somebody who like naturally writes an episodic like monthly comic book series uh, because I'm just used to having not unlimited, but you know, like. 200 pages to tell a story as opposed to, you know, 22 pages times four. So it's been a challenging experience. That sounds like a fun challenge. I think for me it was, it was really fun for pacing or for environments and characters and everything. I I recommend this book called Screenwriting for Neurotics. 
you know, I'm in Hollywood and literally that's the place. That's like the neighborhood. Um, and <laughs> one of my friends, you know, just started trying to write for TV and writing for TV. And so we're trying to like learn this different form of writing for TV. And it's interesting to read, you know, it's like the same principles as comics or anything else, but it's way, it has to be so much faster and snappier and direct and to the point and structured. And so if you're ever wondering about visual storytelling, I, I mean, I know some cartoonists are like, film and comics are not the same, but you know what? They have a lot in common. Like if you, you're, you're still saying a lot with your visuals. So I, I recommend that book. You're listening to Sagittarian Matters with Nicole Joanne Georges. My teacher is trying to teach us about drawing, which I am fine at already. Not great, but able. But how worried should I be about composition? I kind of feel like it's something to consider, but for now I should get rid of it if it's going to slow me down, right? Like overthinking it is stalling me out. Those are things I'm wondering about with comics right now from Colleen. I believe in composition. Thinking about where your eye is going to go on the page. I don't think you have to be crazy like Frank Santoro <laughs> and draw a fucking grid over everything. I um, never think about it, ever, which I think has created maybe some like awkward, just like panel breaks or, you know, things where it kind of like if you zoomed out and weren't reading it panel by panel. And just looking at it, it would look like, you know, someone's like butt is coming out of the side of my face or something, you know, like something that ultimately doesn't really matter. But some people will be like compositionally, blah. Um, but I've never like been able to um, I think of the page flow, but I and I think of the order of what you're seeing in the panel and how that reads. But then. Like, if we're talking, like, strictly art-wise, art compositionally, I, I don't think I have a good grasp of what that means. For me, it means, like, symmetry and balance. So if I'm looking at a page and there's, like, a ton of black happening in one corner and not somewhere else, I'll want to add something to balance it out. Because I think it's, like, it's something that becomes... The more you do it, I think it becomes more intrinsic. And, Liz, you probably don't even notice it because you just... You have, you have it, man. I think that that is maybe, I mean, not trying to like toot my own horn, but come on, when do I ever get another chance to? Um, But yeah, that's kind of one of those things that after really having spent at this point, like 25 years of my life, very devotedly reading and drawing comics, it is kind of like a second nature type of thing that I don't notice is happening but it's like in my internal comics writing mechanism again for me it all comes forth as anxiety and you know god help me if i ever went on an anti-anxiety medication but i'll look at a page and if there's not liz just raised her eyebrows i look at a page and if there's not if it doesn't feel if it doesn't feel like there's symmetry to me or if i feel like one part is heavier than the other part it's a feeling of anxiety that i need to fix it it's like I'm holding up a bucket and there's water coming out of one side. I'm like, oh no, and I have to, I have to find something to put in that corner to make it make sense. But Liz, the thing you were talking about was um, the flow, and I think it's valuable. It's so stupid you have to say it, but it's so valuable to remind young cartoonists that no matter what, people read left to right and then up to down. 
unless we're talking about manga, which we're not. But so like, you know, even if you're drawing it and you love the way you drew someone who's in the far right and you want them to talk first, their bubble needs to be furthest left. Or you have to like draw the word balloon trail going to them, going through your artwork in some way that probably cuts it up and makes it less efficient. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. And there really is something to be said about really considering your, the way you render your text as a part of your artwork also. And I feel I feel kind of funny being a person who's saying that because people complain incessantly about how bad my handwriting is. I've never made that complaint. Thank you. But other people do. And I don't, Oh, I don't overwhelmingly disagree with them, but I think that especially for the kinds of comics that I draw, it fits the art style way better than like making a font or using a font would that would take me out of it um but i have seen you know some other cartoonists who it really seems like just like writing the text in the word balloon is like an afterthought and it's sloppy and it ends up you know having a lot of space at the top of the balloon and then at the bottom it's like chicken scratch because they couldn't fit it all in so really uh, either don't draw the word balloon until you've got the text in there or, you know, figure out some way to make that part of it flow easily as well. Because if someone if someone has to work to read your comic, they're not going to want to continue reading your comic. Then you did it wrong. Well, I, when I started with Invincible Summer, it was just my diary. And so it was just how it felt, how it felt good, how it made sense to me. And that was fine and great. And then, but then, you know, people would say that they had a hard time reading it. Mostly men. Um, (laughs) They had a hard time reading or understanding it. And I was like, well, I don't really care, but I actually would like to make this easier for people. And so when I'm doing stories that are not just my own diary, I want people to be able to read it without being taken out of the story. Like I've just, I tell students, like if you're reading Harry Potter and there's a really important fight scene and then JK Rowling, like starts like going down the side of the page sideways (laughs) and upside down because she ran out of space it's going to take you out of the story because then instead of being a wizard, you are a person holding a book sideways trying to figure out what's going on. So I, I try to think about that. Um, and also I want to say this is like a weird tip, but so in, in honor of things moving from left to right, if you want to imply movement, always have people running, walking, or cars going towards the right. Because if you have them going towards the left, it is blocking the energy in the panel. This is my own personal panel chi, panel feng shui that we talked about at the Center for Cartoon hmm. Studies. Is like if, so if you want, if you're like, let's jump in the car and have it race away, have it race towards the right, because that's where people's eyes are going. So they're like moving forward with your car. Right. Yes. Unless you're purposefully trying to have someone going back. Yeah. If you I have guess. someone reverse, that's kind of funny. <laughs> have them reverse towards the left. Okay, this is from Rob. I have never heard anyone talk about how to arrange text versus images. This is very, very topical. I have words, I have images, and I have to get them into the panel without everything getting smooshed up. The only rules I am following are one, don't expect to get more than 20 words in a panel. That's a lot of fucking words. And two, the words go at the top. I'm pretty sure there are more and better rules in this and you store them in your head. Okay, I want to say really quick that you can have your words, your narration boxes go at the top or the bottom. 
but you get to choose one and then stick with it in general. I, I agree with you, but I think that there are places where a narration box at the bottom of the panel adds to the weight of, there are places where it fits at the bottom, like totally, I think. Like totally? Like, like tonally. Oh, tonally. Because like if you really want people to absorb the picture first and then understand what's happening deeper in the picture later, then you would put it at the bottom. Right. That's what, like, I, I think that I kind of tend to use that tactic a lot. Like I'll start a, a statement in one panel at the top of the page and then the artwork will like go into the next panel and then the end of the statement will be like underneath it kind of like. I, I don't know if I can explain it, but there's like a place where it feels very like tonally appropriate to change the spacing of your narrative boxes. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you should only have, I think you should have as few words in your panel as possible. I think 20 is a lot in a panel. Not a page, a panel. 20 words is going I, to take up a lot of friggin' space, yes. my friend. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I mean... I think rules are a boner killer, but you do have to be considerate. Rule, rules are killing my boner. My crotch is on fire. As a Sagittarius, this crotch is ice when you talk about rules for comics. I'm like, forget it, I'm not doing comics anymore. I'll draw on the, I'll draw on the floor with a stick. Um, yes, 20 words in a panel is a lot. I've never heard a rule about like how many words you can or should put in a panel. Um, I have also used the, the, uh, what would you call it? Just like the stark contrast of having a panel just be only words before, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, had so much narration that it just takes up like an entire panel. Yeah, I like but that. But I try to do something like either just like make the background like black and have the text be white on top of it or something that kind of sets it apart. Um, as far as like how to like m make those things go together, like the words and the images, uh, that seems to fall into that category of things that I've just been doing for so long that I almost like have no idea how to tell someone how to do it. Well, I a, at first I want to challenge you know if, if Rob is a student, I want to challenge him to like if you have twenty words, I want to challenge you to to illustrate half of those words to make another illustration to get rid of some of those words instead of relying on them because sit back and ask yourself why is this a comic and not a novel. You know, like what can you do with drawings that will show us something more than just you adding three sentences to that panel? And then the other thing is, um, you know, except for in the case of those narration boxes, which I also employ, I'm also known as having comics that are too wordy. Um, not, I've never heard that about you, I've heard that about me. But um, just, you know, anytime you have text, it should be adding like you said before it should be adding to the picture or telling us something different that's adding depth it's never just like here's a dog riding a skateboard and then underneath it it says this is a dog drawing riding a skateboard mm -hmm. it's always adding you want yeah you want to uh step away from like 
very literally drawing what you have narrated because then that's just redundant. Yeah, it's a corn maze. Corn maze. <laughs> you see what I'm doing there? Oh, I see. I see. Like a, a corn concert. Um, and I don't know about, about integrating them. I mean, I, yeah, it is just a thing where you just read enough comics and you draw enough comics that it just gets in your head. Don't let the word, oh, my deepest tip is write your words first and then draw the bubbles around them. That is like something that I tell fourth graders and they're like, oh, but then also I tell 40 year olds and they're like, oh, it is like the dumbest dumbassery. Like, cause you have your page and you're like, this is how big the bubble should be. It will look beautiful. And then you try to fit your words in and you're like, fuck. And then the words have to like go upside down or sideways. But there is also, um, with not to bring it back to this Cody and the creepies thing, but it's a different way of making comics. And, uh, the artist Amanda Kirk is actually not lettering it. So she's just making the artwork. And then someone goes in digitally later and like puts in the word balloons Wow! and the words. And it's like, I, have never made a comic that way. I can't think of the panel without the words or figure out where they should go without actually drawing them. Um, so there's like lots of different ways that people produce their comic art. And some people don't add those things in until the very end. So it's kind of a, there's lots of different ways to think about it. Yeah. I guess just like, what do you want people to pay attention to on that page? Is it the words or is it the pictures? Give whatever weight or value or or like um, real estate or significance on the page to the thing you want them to see first. Comics is like a lot of power, right? Like you have a lot of power you, in the way you tell your story. Yeah. Don't abuse it. This is where I, it, where if we had time, Chris inserts somebody going, I got the power. Like CNC Music Factory. <laughs> Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts, because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, Please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever but in the meantime thank you we appreciate your support and i look forward to saying your name on the podcast producer ponyo looks forward to it too that was ponyo's voice don't be scared bye somebody says tools layout oh somebody wants to know planning a story from the vague we inklings to a coherent plan organizing your working day and working towards bigger goals all right we kind of touched on this before I use the Alec Longstreth method. He is a cartoonist. We both know he is my productivity coach. This is for a long-term plan. If I have like a long deadline, I'll say like, okay, Alec, I need to do 300 pages. I have nine months. 
and then he will break down how many pages I need to do every week to hit that nine month thing. But I, Liz is shaking her head. Um, that's like a oh, no, 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 no. I agree, I agree with that, and I wish that I could work that way. I was just shaking my head because um, <laughs> he uses that in like everything, not just in drawing comics. And I was at their house uh, in January, and he has like a grid like that for when their mortgage will be paid off, and it's like you know, like 30 years broken down month by month. And then like three of the little boxes were colored in. And I was like, oh, doesn't that depress you? And he was like, well, it's nice to look at it. And I was like, not until you get past the halfway mark. So. Oh, yeah. I also make a thermometer for progress. <laughs> so planning a story, basically, I, so right now the way I'm working on long projects is I'm making book proposals. So to make a book proposal, I basically write an, I write, write an outline. Here's what I want to happen at the beginning. Here's what I want to happen at the end. Here's everything in between. Okay, so I make like a table of contents. And then I go from that and I just start free associating um, anecdotes that go with the table of contents. You know, so it's like, okay, I got the dog. She was bad. Once I kicked her in the head. Uh, once she got given away. Then we moved to Portland. Then this happened. Then that happened. Then eventually the dog died because that's what happens to dogs. Um, and then I'll think of everything in between. And then I'll sit back and look at them and see where I can put those so they all serve the greater purpose. And then I start working from there. I, I do thumbnails. I do two rounds of thumbnails. That's like tiny, um, what is it called? Storyboarding. Tiny storyboarding with stick people. I do two rounds of those. And then I edit from those. And once those are edited, then I move on to pencils. So I will pencil out, draw my pages in pencil on the actual paper. Give that another edit look before I start inking. I am basically the same way, but I think that I, uh, storytelling for me, I feel like I have to be a lot more free to kind of let the story evolve and become something else. I get very hung up on the idea of like proposing a book and having to kind of quote unquote know before you started it, like what's going to transpire or how exactly it's going to go. Um, and I know that a book proposal is not like a set in stone, like it has to be exactly this. You're trying to convey the idea of what your, go what your book is going to be and how you're going to do it. And there is some wiggle room there, but I think that it's something that really trips me up in the process. Um, and so uh, I like to just be able to kind of be like, this is the general idea. And then have things that occur to me as I'm writing it that seem like a good direction. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I assume that your writing process has elements of that as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but also, and this is too deep because this is probably not the level that this person is talking at, <laughs> but like, you know, I have an editor at Houghton Mifflin. So like if I sell the book as one thing and then it evolves into something else, I can propose that to my editor and say, you know, here's what happened when I started writing. <laughs> How does this work or what else can we add to make it so that this still serves the general gist of what you guys liked? You know what I mean? Uh, but this person's probably saying just for like a comic book they're making on their own. In which case I'm like, yeah, like make an outline, make a list of everything you want to be in there and then just see where the spirit moves you. Let it go. Let it go. Uh, but organizing my working day, it just depends on what my deadline is. 
and what's what's going on. Um, I work almost seven days a week, so there's a working week for you. And that working can look like doing the podcast, reading comics, looking up pictures of dogs to draw, emailing people, penciling something. Right now I'm working on three pet portraits at once because that's fun for me. And there's always something you can do. Like I can like rule out pages if my brain isn't working. I can use my ruler and just do like the grunt work. Or I can like just paint a canvas and let it dry. And then once my brain is working, like if I have coffee or good music or something, and I can actually visually write, then I'll do the stuff that, that needs that part of my brain. Yeah. There's also something to be said for that uh, that struggle of like staring at the blank piece of paper and, you know, not knowing what it should be. And maybe to the outside world, it looks like you're just like not doing anything, but you're actually like figuring out how you're going to write this story or make this page. Yeah. So what this is the last question? What are the best comic book conventions for new collectors? I get hung up on that word collectors because what does it mean? It feels very uh, Silence of the Lambs. They're, well, <laughs> when I think of a comic book collector, I am thinking of someone like the comic book guy on The Simpsons. Who, That's who it is generally. Right. Um, and so for that kind of thing, I assume that you would want to go to something like San Diego Comic Con or, you know, some convention that has a bunch of publishers there with their artists and their books but also people who sell back issues so if you they're just got into what oh sorry go ahead really but if they're asking just got in, yeah. yeah but if you just got into like x-men you can go and find the ones that you missed um but if you're reading the kinds of comics that nicole and i like to draw and read i feel like you would want to go to a show that's more like the small press expo or uh cake in chicago so, okay so small press expo is in maryland bethesda maryland it happens in september usually mm -hmm. and then cake happens in chicago it's in chicago alternative comics expo it's usually in june is it may or june uh right yeah. now mocha is about to happen in new york which is that's awesome true. There's one in L.A. I can't remember what it's called. A Comics Arts L.A. Mm -hmm. There's Cab in New York, which Comics I Comics Arts to. Brooklyn. Uh, Short Run in Seattle is, like, quickly becoming one of my favorite shows. Line Work in Portland. Um, so these ones that we're talking about are all ones where you have some, like, bigger established publishers there, like indie publishers. But then you also have a bunch of artists who you may have never heard of representing their own work. And also people that might be your established favorites selling stuff that you may not have. And you can have them sign it. Or not. Or not. Or TCAF. I've never been to TCAF because going to Canada seems like a pain in the ass. That one's real fun. But it is kind of hard to bring your stuff over there. And there's a lot of stress involved with that. Yeah. Oh, you also like mice. Where's that? Uh, that is actually in Cambridge, Mass, pretty close to where I used to be living. Um, and that's one that happens in October, usually, I think. Hmm. Um, Liz Prince, what do you wish someone would have told you when you were a young cartoonist? 
for starting out? I wish that someone would have told me that using a computer was going to be something that I was going to have to do with my art because uh, it's my least favorite part of it. I don't like scanning in my pages and messing with them and formatting them. Uh, it's just like, it feels like busy work after the fact, because I've got this thing, I drew, I wrote it, I drew it, and now all of a sudden I have to do the production on it also. It feels like that's not where my interest lies so much. Um, and it's just very different from like, you know, when I was 10 years old and I was like, I want to draw comics. Like, it was still a very different way of, you know, no one, no one. Most people didn't have like a scanner in their house and a computer that they were, you know, formatting their artwork on. So I feel like that was like uh, something that was handled by somebody else in the past that now most creators do themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's a real big bummer. <laughs> it is a bummer. It's, it's incredible if you can find a production assistant or somebody to do some of that for you. I have a scanning app called Genius Scan on my phone, and for black and white artwork, it will make an incredible high-resolution scan, and then I just, like, I literally had to, like, write the back of my book, like, my blurbs last night, and then I just took a picture of it with my phone, and I... I I've I never heard of that. Genius Scan. It's free. Genius Scan. It's friggin' free. It it's, it changed my life. I wish someone had told me about levels on Photoshop before. Because I was, or uh, the the thing where you get to like use the ink dropper and make all the blacks the blackest, mm -hmm. and the whites the whitest. I was using brightness contrast before that, and it was really messing with things. Yeah, well, I end up scanning my artwork in like as like a six hundred DPI grayscale, but then I turn it into a twelve hundred DPI bitmap, which just takes all the anything that's not just like black or gray out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I can afford to do that because I don't have gray wash on my artwork. So that's kind of a... I have my whole book. It was for... I draw... Oh, I draw bigger and then I reduce. That's a difference between us. There's not very mm -hmm. many differences between us, but one of them is that I draw big and then I reduce. So my book is 14 by 17, and that's a real pain to scan. So I took it to an architectural place, and they scanned it for $1.50 per page, which was worth it. Wow. Um, yeah, I usually draw my books at the size that they are printed, um, mostly because I'm, I don't trust myself on math, and I feel like I don't... Uh, I don't know how to figure out the correct sizing proportions. Like if I wanted to draw something bigger, but then have it shrunk down to actually be the size without it being like awkward on a page, I'm awful at figuring that out. And the idea of doing that seems way more boring than just like dry, drawing it at the size that it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God, I just, I just realized that I just, after I finished calling Dr. Laura, I was like, ew, never again. Drawing graphic novels sucks. And I just realized I just did it again. <laughs> So I was like, I'm, there's no way I'm drawing this 14 by 17 again. This is way too much of a pain. But once you did I, it at 14 by 17 again? Yeah. I would do it even bigger next time if I could. Because hmm. my hands hurt between you and me. My hands, yesterday I was hand lettering and I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Hmm. That's an uplifting end to the podcast. Um, 
What else? What else? All right, so we're ending the podcast. Ponyo is laying in the sun. She's giving me the thumbs up that we did a good job. Uh, you would tell yourself that you had a horrible computer work in your future. I would, yeah, I would probably try to prepare myself to uh, be a little more confident about that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just tell myself to use levels. And uh, young cartoonists, you may have just, it's not, I, I, the rules really do give me a boner. So, like, it's great to know the rules and to understand that people read left to right. But, like, just just give yourself a little freedom while you're learning to just try out different styles, try out different tools. Use every kind of tool. See? Also, don't don't decide that you're going to write, like, a 500-page sprawling epic as the first thing you've ever written before because uh, you'll probably end up hating your life pretty soon. It's, Let yourself experiment and figure out, you know, how you draw before you commit yourself to one long story. Hell yes. And if you start on something long and then you start and then you hate it and you realize that, that you don't actually like it, you can put it away and just do something else. You know, it doesn't have to be like, I just invested all this time. You can just chill on it. All right. Liz Prince, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's so incredible to have you on the podcast. Uh, uh, wait, tell me how people can find Cody and the Creepies. Um, Cody and the Creepies is published by Boombox, which is an imprint of Boom Studios. It's the same uh, publisher that does the Lumberjanes. So any store that has uh, really any kind of current comics should carry it. And um, please check it out. It's a very different kind of thing for me. It's pure erotica. Yes. So erotic. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.